Hi, Pastor Anthony here. At Vintage Faith Church, we stand behind the Bible's claim to be the Word of God, and we believe that the Scriptures contain everything needed for life and godliness. The Scriptures testify to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray that this recording stirs your faith towards that end. This is in no way meant to be a substitute for the local church gathering, which we believe is critical to your growth as a Christian and your walk with Christ. We pray that you will find the sermon edifying and challenging. Thank you for listening. As you may know, we've just finished our sermon series on the Ten Commandments last Sunday. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be doing a few random odds and ends passages, just something to kind of cleanse the palate and get some different passages in our diet. We're just cleansing the palate a little bit before we get into, uh, we're doing a sermon series on discipleship and then a series in Hebrews. But today we're going to be looking at a segment from the Epistle of James. And selfishly, I chose this passage because we went through it in the men's fellowship. (laughs) Quick little plug for the men's fellowship here. Uh, We meet on the third Saturday of every month, and we have breakfast, and we study the Bible together. It's a great time. You should come out. Um, This passage that we're going to look at this morning was fruitful then, and it was inspiring then, and I pray that God will inspire us and challenge us this morning. Now, here are a few pieces of context about the book of James before we dig into the nitty-gritty. It's important to have a little bit of background knowledge on what we're reading, especially considering that we're starting right in the middle of a chapter. We're not starting at the beginning today. The book of James is believed to be one of the earliest of the New Testament writings. So picture this being written relatively closely after the death of Jesus, at least earlier than some of the other books in the New Testament, maybe even during the time of what's happening in some of the book of Acts. The book of James is believed to be written by James, which might seem like it could be obvious, but not all New Testament books are named after who they're written by. So James was the brother of Jesus, and the book is written generally to Jewish Christians that are scattered all throughout the ancient world which is in, comes in contrast to some of the other New Testament books, which were written to specific churches. Sometimes called the Proverbs of the New Testament, the book of James is very practical and it reminds Christians how we should live. From topics like perseverance, true faith, controlling one's tongue, submitting to God's will, and having patience, James teaches Christians to live authentically and to live wisely for Christ. We're going to be looking at chapter 1 of James, verses 19 to 27. And before that passage, James has already said the following in this letter. He said to be joyful when we meet trials because it gives us a chance for the endurance of our faith to grow. He tells us to ask God for wisdom and that God gives to those who ask him. He said that earthly riches wither and fade like a flower in the grass. He has said that God is not the tempter and that we are tempted from our own desire. And he tells us that every good gift comes from God, our Father. So after all of that, that's where 
verses 19 through 27 come in. I'm going to read it to you guys again. Let's go through it. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So when you step back and look at this passage from a distance, the main point that I would take away from it is that as Christians, we are to live out our faith. This means that it is not enough to know about Christian faith, but we must live it. James later even says in chapter 2 of this very same letter that faith without works is dead. Faith is more than knowledge of the Bible, but knowing God's word is vital to knowing how to live out our faith. Faith is more than a relationship with Jesus, but it starts with a relationship with Jesus. Faith is more than having a place to hang out with people at a church, but church fellowship is vital to the health of a Christian. Faith is more than a set of rules or some slick way to live your life, but the Bible does tell us how we should live our lives, right? There's a lot of pieces to this. Biblical Christianity has a lot of pieces to it. And sometimes I think we need to be challenged to live up to biblical Christianity even when it is not convenient for us. This is the idea that James is really getting at. We need to be people who live out our faith authentically, it isn't enough to know about the faith. It isn't enough to know all the correct answers. And it isn't enough to play pretend when it comes to faith. Let's really dig into the details of the text right now. Verses 19 through 20 say this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Would you say that you would describe yourself this way? It's kind of a weird concept when you really think about it. 
I mean, really think about it. It's almost like some kind of oxymoron or something. It doesn't really make sense if you take it too literally. Being fast to listen. Is listening really something that we can do at a certain speed? I didn't know that listening could be fast or slow. We can't, we can't take this too literally. I think if anything, James is really making this point, that we are to be eager to listen and slow to respond or to retaliate. We are to be eager to listen to God and slow to react to him. In the same line of thinking, verse 20 says this, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger that's within us, it's not of God, and it does not produce the righteousness that God desires for us as Christians. Now what's happening here is that James is really equating quick response and snappy replies to anger. James is saying that the proper godly approach to come into interactions, especially with God, is humbly willing to listen and ready to respond using the wisdom of God. Consider the fruits of the Spirit. Do you remember Galatians chapter 5? In the fruit of the Spirit, Paul writes this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now the fruits of the Spirit, when presented by Paul in his letter to the Galatian church, they were explained and brought out in opposition to the works of our flesh. What James is talking about when we respond to things is a perfect opportunity for us to operate with the filling of the Holy Spirit a chance to live by the fruits of the Spirit. This is a chance to respond lovingly, joyfully, and peacefully with patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I can think of a time that I didn't follow James's advice. <laughs> a time that I responded quickly and I looked like a fool. Now, bear with me a little bit. I was like, honestly not sure if I wanted to share this story. It's a little embarrassing. <laughs> but when I was about six years old, I was at my aunt's house for some sort of get-together. I think maybe it was around the time of my birthday, probably a little bit before. I can't remember the exact <laughs> circumstances of why we were there, but I remember everyone in my mom's family was sitting around in a circle in the living room. You know how people do kind of like when they're about to exchange gifts. And I'm like, I was given a birthday card by my aunt. I remember she walked over, and she handed me an envelope with a card in it. And my first response before saying anything else was, that's it? That's it? It's just a card? That's it? Yeah. And once my family stopped laughing and praised the Lord that they thought it was funny, I finally opened the card, and there were movie tickets inside. So I had made a mistake. I was slow to listen and fast to speak. And guess who ended up looking really stupid and frankly, like a little kind of rude? Me. 
But when have you made this mistake? Have you ever read something in God's word that just didn't get along with your flesh? Did you respond right away without listening to the Lord? I'm sure that we've all done it before. I'm certainly not going to stand up here and lie and say that I've never done this before. But I do think that we need to be more willing to listen to the Lord and be slower to respond in our flesh to him. His message for the Christian life is difficult sometimes, but we can't even attempt to live up to it if we don't listen. Verse 21 says this, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. There's a connection between our actions, our lifestyles, the desires of our flesh, and humbly receiving the word of God, the very guide that we need that saves our souls. Now, James urges those who have faith in Christ, those who call themselves Christians, to turn away from evil, to set aside what is holding us back from receiving what the Lord has for us. The Lord has so much for us, and he reveals it to us in his word. Have you ever considered what you are saved to? If you ask a Christian what they are saved from, they usually know the answer. They usually would respond saying, yes, I'm saved from hell. But we are saved to something as well. We are saved into communion, into a relationship with God the Father through Christ the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, living our lives in a biblical way, in the way that God has presented in the Bible, it shouldn't be a chore. It is a delight we are privileged with the opportunity to live up to it. His ways are higher than our ways. He knows how we were created to live. And we cannot receive the word of God that he has written for us and planted in us if we do not turn from what he has saved us from. He has so much more for us starts when we turn away from evil and look to God. This is part of following him. God is who saves our souls. His word saves our souls. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ saves our souls. Verse 22 of James 1 takes a turn in another direction, going from talking about how we respond to things to instead pushing us to live out our faith. Verse 22 says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So at this point, we're being told to live out what is in the word of God, what is in the Bible, not just to know it, not just to hear it, not just to study it, but to do it. And don't get me wrong, you have to do all of those other things before you can be a doer of the word. You must know the word. You must be hearing the word. We must study it. But if we stop there, we are falling short. Being a Christian is more than knowing the Bible. 
but it certainly is not less than knowing the Bible. I'm going to say that one more time. Being a Christian is more than knowing the Bible, but it certainly is not less than knowing the Bible. It's interesting that James is telling us to be doers. He's not telling us to do. He is saying that being a doer should fundamentally be a character trait of a Christian. Someone who calls Jesus their Lord and Savior should have a personality that is totally characterized by being a doer of faith. Now remember, at this time in history, Christians consumed God's word primarily audibly, the spoken word, in a public assembly of God's people, a meeting that would look very similar to this. Maybe not in a fancy building, but something like this. James was telling the believers to not just be listeners, but by our modern standards, this is equivalent to hearing or reading the Bible any way that we consume the Bible. When we hear the Bible, when we read the Bible, and when we are not moved to action in response to what God is saying, we deceive ourselves, says James. That's what he's saying. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James continues on in verses 23 and 24 by saying this. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. So James is saying that someone who looks into a mirror, someone who looks at their face and then walks away and forgets what they look like is the same as someone who hears the word of God and walks away doing nothing about it. Michael Jackson actually has something to say on the topic uh, in the hit song, Man in the Mirror. Does anyone know that song? Yeah, okay, cool. The lyrics in the chorus of the song go like this. I'm not going to sing it to you, I promise. (laughs) I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. And no message could have been any clearer. If they want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and then make a change. So even by the world's standard, it is foolish to look into a mirror to see an imperfection and to just not do anything about it. Would you look into a mirror and notice that there was something stuck in your teeth and just leave it there? Would you walk away if your hair was all screwed up? Would you walk away having made no change to your physical appearance at all if there was a huge booger sticking out of your nose, right? (laughs) If you would look into the mirror and fix yourself up under those circumstances, why would you look into the mirror of God's word, the implanted word, and then do nothing about making a change to yourself? The Bible, the word of God, is the standard. 
And I'm not saying that it's an easy standard to live up to, but we need to attempt to live our lives up to this standard. It should be an honor and a privilege to be given these instructions from the Lord. An honor and a privilege to try our best to live up to the name of Christian. Our devotion and the giving of our lives to Christ and his mission should be fueled by our love for him. And that love starts from the love that he first showed us on the cross. Jesus paid the price for our redemption. I'm not talking about legalism here. I'm not talking about mindless, silly rules that have no reason. This is just, this is how the Christian is to respond to such a mighty act of love that is done for us. And it's in our best interest. God wants to give good gifts to his children. Now, we just went through the Ten Commandments as a church, so I don't think I really need to make a big list of all the biblical commands for us right now, but just know that following God's law is in our best interest. God's law shows how the original design for the earth was. It takes us back to how it was supposed to be in Eden, and it shows us how it will be in the new heaven and the new earth. So why do we constantly fight against it? Why do we look into God's word and choose to change nothing about how we act? The passage goes on to talk about what happens when we do choose to take his word seriously. It says this, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If you look into God's word, if you look into all of it, even the hard parts, and you are not just a hearer, not just a reader, but a doer, the Lord blesses you. I would encourage you to know the word, to read the word. It all starts there. I understand that I've been harping on the importance of living out our faith, but we need the instructions too. Have you ever tried to put together a piece of furniture without reading the instructions? <laughs> Have you ever refused to use a map or to take directions from someone? I'm looking at the guys in here. <laughs> We tell ourselves, I know how to do it. I can figure it out. I don't need to look at those instructions. I don't need a map. And every time we end up pulling them out and we end up figure, following them step by step in order to get where we need to go and do what we need to do. The Bible is the same way. The Bible provides the instruction that we need to live out the Christian life. Colossians 3.16 puts it this way. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Does the word of Christ dwell in you richly? Or does it dwell in you like a bottle of ketchup in a gas tank? We want it to dwell in us richly. The Bible should be our fuel. 
And we need to feed ourselves well on the bread of life. I would encourage you to read your Bible on a regular basis. Coming to church regularly on Sundays is an amazing start to learning the Bible and getting fellowship with others. But you will be shocked how much you can grow if you spend regular time throughout your daily life consuming God's word. Did you know that if you read between three and four chapters per day of the Bible, that you can read the entire thing in a year? You can listen to the Bible too. I do that sometimes. It's kind of cool. It's nice. You can multitask a little bit. We should spend our time in fellowship with believers under the word on Sunday mornings and do the same in Bible studies, do the same in our personal lives, in our personal walks, and we should be spending time meditating on his word, on God's word, on the Bible, day and night. I find that reading the Bible right when I wake up or right before bed can be a good rhythm for me. But let me ask you this, what is your rhythm for Bible reading? Do you have a rhythm? Are we in God's word? I think on average, most of us probably eat probably two, three times, maybe throw a snack in there, maybe four times. But what is your rhythm for taking in God's word? Are we doing this on a regular basis? The text says that the Lord blesses us when we know the word and when we do it. Remember in verse 25, it said this. It says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. Psalm 1 puts it this way. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The Lord blesses us for being doers of the word. The Lord blesses us for not walking in the evil ways of the world. Really what's being implied is that God's law will change us. When we avoid the advice of corruption, when we choose not to walk in the ways of evil, and when we aren't the ones mocking God, we will be delighted in the Lord and in his commands. Meditating day and night on what he has to say. Now, I'm not saying that life's going to be all sunshine, daisies, butterflies. But I think the idea is that blessedness by our culture's standards is different from blessedness in the biblical way, in the biblical standard. It's a blessing to be living in the way that the Bible prescribes. The lifestyle, the rules, the guidelines, whatever way you decide to look at it, the law, God's law, all of it. It's a blessing. The blessing is a relationship with God, a relationship restored almost to that of God's original good creation. God sent his son on a cross to redeem us, to restore the fellowship that was intended for us to have with him. And part of that fellowship is him speaking to us 
And the primary way that he speaks to us is through his word. We ought to meditate on his word day and night as if we truly believe that it is God's word. Because it is God's word. It is truly God's word. James next goes on to elaborate a little bit about what true religion is. He says this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So in this passage, James is challenging us. He previously was saying, hey, you've got to be doers of the word. But now he's giving us a little bit of explanation about what that might look like. So let's dig into it a little bit. I remember the very first time that I looked at this text, I thought to myself, what is a bridle? The text says in verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. What does it mean to bridle your tongue? It has to be important, right? Because if we don't do it, our religion is worthless. I found this definition online, and I thought that although it was a little bit thorough, a little thick, it added some meaning to the text. The bridle is a piece that holds the bit in the horse's mouth, and it helps to transport the signals from the rider's hands through the reins and into the horse's mouth. The bridle, reins, and the bit work together to control the horse's head, and therefore where the horse is going and how fast. So I'm not recommending that you go out and get some headgear. <laughs> I'm not recommending that you should wear a bridle, and I don't think that James is recommending that either. <laughs> what he is saying is that we need to be able to control what we say and do. We need to be able to control our actions, have a little bit of self-control. This is a part of being doers of the word, right? Again, we, we just went through the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments all start with thou shalt not. So there's some self-control involved in this. Why do you think that is? Jesus kind of touches on this when he says this in Mark. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, slander pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person." We have to control ourselves because the fleshly desires that are within us are evil. A Christian is a blessed spiritual being inside of a problematic fleshly physical body. 
I'm going to say that one more time. A Christian is a blessed spiritual being made in the image of God, might I add, inside of a problematic, fleshly, physical body. And James is saying in the text that if we do not do this, if we do not have control ourselves, if we not, are not doers of the word, that we are deceiving our own hearts. The Greek word used for heart in verse 26, it, what it means really is our minds, our personality, our character, and our inner life. Again, lots of metaphors going on in here. We are deceiving ourselves if we do not bridle our tongue. You're doing something that you wouldn't want to do to your friend or family. You wouldn't deceive your friend or your family, right? But, we, but when we do this, we're doing it to ourselves. You are lying to yourself if you cannot control your tongue or your actions and instead be doers of the word. James says this about what pure religion or pure faith is. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So this is an example of pure faith before God. To show compassionate love to a group of people who may be in the most need and may be unable to offer anything in return. Caring for someone in need who cannot reciprocate is very Christ-like. It's a picture of what he did for us on the cross. And it clearly demonstrates true, sacrificial, Christian love. And James is saying that that is religion that is pure and undefiled. So I would encourage all of us to actively engage in acts of compassion acts of justice, acts of righteousness, both individually and the church community. And I'm not saying that this has to be something that's neatly packaged for us, a program that we can check off of our to-do list. This is something we can do as we're walking our walk, as we're taking the race to the end of our life. Isaiah 117 says this, Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. How can we as Christians show more Christ-like love to those around us? How can we show more Christ-like love to each other within the church? How can we show more Christ-like love to our neighbors? Really think about it. How often do our motives come into play when good works come to mind? It gets tainted. I think we've all done it before. But we need to keep ourselves unstained from this kind of worldly thinking. That is the other point that James gives in explaining pure religion. He says, to be unstained by the world. <laughs> Purity is something that is defined by its lack of other things being in it, right? A purebred dog is 100% a specific breed of a dog. It doesn't have any mixed breeds. Salt water, it's not pure. 
because it has salt in it. It is not purely water. Pure religion is not stained by the world. I'm going to say that again. Pure religion isn't stained by the world. Paul writes this in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now Paul is more or less saying, do not live in the same way that the world lives. Let God's word make you new. This will let you test God's will and know right from wrong in God's eyes. If your mind is renewed, you will know what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. You will know what is pure. This is why staying unstained from the world is so important. It keeps us pure and it keeps our religion pure. It keeps us in check. Now I know the word religion has a bad reputation sometimes and I get it. But this pure religion laid out in the book of James, this is what it's all about. This is what mankind has been trying to do and has screwed up over and over again. And I'm not saying that Vintage Faith Church is perfect. There are no perfect churches, but there's a perfect God. But if we could all get pure religion right, the church would be a better place, especially from looking from in from the outside. So that was a lot. So what is worth taking away from James chapter 1 today? What should we remember about what he said at the end of chapter 1? Number one, turn away from the evil of this world and be humble when you approach God's word and in interactions with others. Number two, know God's word. Be familiar with it. Spend time in it. Get a regular diet of the Bible in your life in any way possible. It's worth it. Number three, aim to be a Christian that is so overwhelmed with the saving grace that God has showed you that you respond by being a doer of his word. Jesus says that if you love him, you will keep his commandments. Number four, love what God's word says. There is a blessing in following it. And lastly, number five, deny living your life in a way that is false religion. Embrace true, sacrificial Christian love. Embrace pure religion. Jesus is worthy of all of these things. He lived his life in these ways. He has given us the best gift possible, eternal life. And by doing so, he's given us eternal life to come and a blessed life now. This life comes by living in harmony with his law. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for us. Lord, I pray that 
we could live up to the calling that you have for us in your word. Lord, I thank you that you provided the instruction manual. Lord, I thank you that you provided the Bible. Thank that you, thank you that you provided this story of redemption. Lord, I pray that we could be slow to anger. Lord, I pray that we could be doers of the word. Lord, I pray that we could be helping and spending time with orphans and widows. Lord, I pray that we could embrace true sacrificial love like like you did on the cross, Lord. Lord, I thank you for all of these things. In your son's name we pray, amen. Thanks for tuning in with us. We hope that you found this sermon edifying, encouraging, and challenging. To learn more about Vintage Faith Church, visit vintagefaithcicero.com. And of course, if you live in the area, we invite you to worship the Lord with us on Sunday mornings.